I am also a lifelong, lifelong youth pastor, so I did that in some capacity for 25 years. So we are very fortunate to um, have the students we have, the parents we have, leadership we have, and the people that have been pouring into them for years. So if you're wondering, maybe you're new here, that's a great way for your, uh, your student to connect. It's kind of like an immersive, fun, but very Jesus everything sort of weekend. So there's still time to sign up. And, and I can tell you, a lot of those events are, um, those are pivotal for students just because it gets them out of their element, kind of gets them together in the, uh, in the tank for some reason, and walls come down when you're around people, and some of the issues come out. Just like anyone, like the more proximity, the more real it is. And so just if you're wondering, that's a great thing to uh, send your student to. So I'm gonna pray. Jesus, we love you, we bless you, we thank you for our students, for our kids, for our worship team, our audiovisual team, our greeters, house group leaders, house group participants, Lord, people that see our outreaches, everything in between, Lord. I thank you for our board, for our staff, for an amazing body that we get to be part of, Lord. I pray that you would continue to do incredible kingdom stuff in our midst and that you would galvanize us to be Jesus everything people. Not Jesus some things, not Jesus that thing, but Jesus everything. In your mighty and powerful name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, as we're thinking about, so we're in Jesus everything. We've been doing Jesus everything the last uh, five weeks, and one of the things we're going to talk about the next couple weeks is the next component of Jesus everything, and we're going to be talking about finances, about how, how we manage them, how we live them, what it looks like from a kingdom perspective, and I know for some people, like, oh, here comes the money talk, the pastor's going to beg us for some money. Um, Jesus talks more about money than he does heaven and hell. He talks more about money than he does sex. He talks more about money than he does church. And I think the reason Jesus talks about it, he gives a great little line in Matthew chapter six. He says, where your treasure is, your heart is. And so there's something about money that occupies a lot of our times because for most people, it occupies five to 15 hours a day of what their time is, right? Like working or shopping or um, thinking about shopping, or thinking about it. I actually, uh, uh, like the American Psychological Association reports that money is the number one cause of stress amongst all Americans. Number one. And we're gonna talk about it because it's relevant. And we can't talk about Jesus everything and then leave out some things. So we can't talk about Jesus everything without talking about the deep, dark stuff. Like I shared my testimony last week. I shared my testimony last week about struggles that I've had and uh, with just brokenness and sexual addiction, stuff like that, and that the Lord has delivered me from and many years of healing, but it was a huge part of my story. So we gotta talk about that. We gotta talk about what it looks like our waking, our dreaming, our sleeping, our sharing, our laughing, all these different things, and money's a huge part of it because research shows that it's... uh, the biggest cause of stress. Our schedules show that it's the, one of the biggest parts of our lives. And then also, Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart is too. And we live in a very competitive, social media-driven culture that I think on many levels proliferates this issue. Because you go to Facebook, or you go to Instagram and Twitter, and people are tweeting about this and that. Most people don't tweet about, my life sucks. 
They're like, no, they show their awesome meal at Jeff Ruby Steakhouse, or they show their new car they just got, or they showed like my best life ever with my kids at the beach, stuff like that. And that's cool, but what that does is that kind of furthers the uh, spirit behind that we have. One of the gifts of capitalism is capitalism is not a necessarily, like when you look in the Bible, you don't open it up and there's not a playbook for capitalism, okay? But capitalism, as we know, is probably the best human economic engine that there is because we've seen how it's blessed this country, how it's blessed many nations, and we see that it creates like an economy where really everyone gets to play in America. If everyone wants to, they can, there's an opportunity. Now that varies based upon, you know, education or opportunity or or like connections, whatever, but we know that it's a really, it, it can be a great opportunity for wealth, but we also know that's a great opportunity for greed, And so we have a very greedy culture. We have a very much keeping up with the Joneses culture. We have a very competitive, independent culture. So while capitalism gives us great opportunities, it also gives, it's kind of like the super serum, right? Captain America. Anyone ever seen Captain America? Do you remember when they're like, well, why are you giving the super serum to this twerp? And he's like, because the super serum magnifies what's already there. It makes, if you're a bully, it makes you a bigger bully. If you have a pure heart, it shows that even more. It's kind of like it accentuates what's there. And money does the same thing to us, doesn't it? Like I've met a lot of people, oh, if I only had more money. It's like, no, if you only had more money, you might be more of a jerk. Or you might be more selfish. Or you might be more greedy. Or you might be a bigger liar. Or you might be less self-aware. Because with that power, with that power, and money is power. That's why the world pursues it. It's not just a problem that's endemic to the United States. Money is power. And a lot of people see it as the the ultimate power. And we have people in authority who live like it's the ultimate power. And so we know that this is an issue that's uh, prevalent and relevant to all of us because money is important. It's important. Like, we have to, we need it to live. Unless you're like Hayden Ozell or Bear Grylls, you need money to live. Unless you can go into the wild with like a machete and walk barefoot across lava or something, like in Laos, most of us need money to live. I would die. I would die if all I would say is, hey, Ryan, here's a sword, good luck. <laughs> I'd just cry. I wouldn't make it. Um, but so we're, we're talking about, but, like, but we also don't want to be like the greatest showman. Anyone see the greatest showman? It's a great uh, like musical, and there's that song, that song, Never Enough. We don't want to be never enough people. Because there's some people, Solomon says, the one who loves money never has enough. So if money is what our first priority is, we will never have enough. We'll never have enough. Because like, what's enough? Heidi Baker, on the other hand, one of my heroes, and we've talked about her a lot, she has a book called Always enough. And it's the whole premise of with Jesus, there's always enough. God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So somewhere between never enough and always enough is do we do with what we have, how are we using that for our enough, for next generations enough, and then for others enough? That's the question today. 
And even though it's not a matter of quantity or surplus, but shrewdness, wisdom, and discipline, do we view our, what we have, whether you have a lot or a little or in the middle, do you view what you have as on loan from God? Because today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the stewardship capacity of Jesus everything. And what Jesus everything does is it orients our lives away from, oh, Jesus is an add-on. Like it's just me and Jesus, my BFF. No, like he's the king also. He's the king and the savior. And the king says that the king gets all of our heart. He gets all of our time, talent, treasure. He gets what we have and he reorients it to the condition of the kingdom and says, here's what I didn't just uh, make you for, here's what I'm remaking you for. And so Jesus gets jurisdiction over everything. He gets jurisdiction over my marriage. He gets jurisdiction over my cell phone. He gets jurisdiction over my wallet. He gets jurisdiction over my thought life. He gets jurisdiction over my marriage. He gets jurisdiction over my family. He gets jurisdiction over my car. Jesus gets jurisdiction because he's the king. And we know in Isaiah, that famous the Emmanuel, that God with us, that the increase of his government would know no end. That's not just starting in the world, that's starting in our lives. The jurisdiction of Jesus, the requisite is, he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And if you want to be my disciple, you have to give up everything and come after me. That's the mandate. And you're like, dude, I don't even know how to give up anything. Well, it's somewhere between not giving up anything and Jesus, everything is a road we're all hopefully on as we're pursuing Christ. But it's imperative that the orientation of our heart, when, when we die, it's not gonna, I don't think it's gonna be were you in or were you out. Did you say a prayer? Did you go to church? Or did you not? What Jesus is gonna really look like, I think, and I think there's a lot of evidence from the scripture, and we can unpack this another time or personally, is what Jesus could say is, was your heart leaning more towards me? Because what about the thief on the cross? Jesus says, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. And remember the, uh, like the story of the vineyard workers, the ones who came late, and the ones who got there early got the same payment, but it's gonna be at the end or the beginning, in like the middle, it's not just how you start, but how we end. It's about reaping and sowing. And reaping and sowing is a spiritual economic process of what we plant, we grow. And Jesus says there'll be those who, who, who just grew a little bit and they washed away. There'll be those who grew for a while, but the riches, the cares of life choked the kingdom out of them. But there will be those who after that produce 30, 60, even 100 fold, which is a fruitfulness that's measured in quantity of crops and capacity to distribute. So there's an economic lever to that parable as well. So it's Jesus everything is the condition of our life bending more and more and more to the jurisdiction of heaven. That's what this is about. This isn't about a bag. This isn't about a guilt but it's factual. We know if we're in or not. You look at the Bible and you look at Jesus and you know if that's what in is, that's what I gotta do. And if we have our own renderings of what, well, he didn't really mean that. He didn't really mean this. It'll be a smoky day to stand in front of him and say, no, I really meant what I said. I don't change. I meant it then, I mean it now. 
And the God of the Bible will not rearrange according to our position, to our paradigm, to our proclivity. He will not rearrange for any of it. We've got to look at his word with honesty and integrity and say, God, if you're saying it, if I'm going to follow you, I've got to start. If I can't even do that yet, I've got to start living towards that. And that's what Jesus everything's about. It's not about being perfect. It's about being surrendered. Because Jesus says, I'm not looking. He says, I want obedience more than sacrifice. Because you remember the Pharisees, he chided when they're like, oh, we're emptying our pockets. We're giving 10%. Like, do you really think Elon Musk, when, if he stands in front of Jesus, he'll be like, I gave 10% of $200 billion. Do you think Jesus is going to be impressed with that? No, he's going to say, why not 199.9 billion to my kingdom and then you live on the earth 100 million? I think he'd be all right. Because he said the one he was impressed with was the widow who had nil. She had a, a penny left and she dropped in and he's like, that's what I'm after. She gave everything. You gave out of your excess. And you might think, well, I'm too poor to give my money now. Listen, you are too poor not to tithe. Amen. Come on. Amen. If you're thinking that's you, you're too poor not to tithe. Because tithing's not about, I mean, tithing's not about like as much of a percent as it is about a heart. And so we're talking about today is um, the orientation of our heart. It says in 1 Timothy chapter one, it says this, I mean, verse six, chapter six, verse 10 states, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In our, in our culture, we say more, 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 more. It's very interesting in the scripture. It says those that have less, 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 less are closer to the prize than those that already have it. And so you're saying, so I can't have wealth and love Jesus. I'm not saying that. He's just saying it gets harder to. Because think about it, if he wants us to surrender everything, well, the more you have to surrender, that's a hard sacrifice. That's a hard sacrifice. It's a more dutiful sacrifice. It's a more complicated sacrifice. And so Jesus is talking about the condition of our hearts because he knows where our treasure is, our heart is. But I'll tell you that there's, there's some stuff we can do to orient our hearts in a better place. Because I think a lot of people, we live in a generous country. We live in a greedy country, but we also live in a generous country. Like America makes up about 127th of the world's population, but we give over half the money given. So there is a generosity. And of people that give, 68% of those that give, according to a recent Barna survey, 68% one out of four are Christians, but that one out of four gives 68% of half the world's giving. So Christian people are generally more generous because we serve a generous God and those are the principles that, that we live by. So people in our country, especially American Christians, tend to have a very generous ethos. So I wanna, I, I wanna applaud that, but the, but the main problem that many of us have is not a giving problem, it's an orientation, it's a stewardship problem. And so I'm gonna give you a little equation because one of God's gifts, gifts to me is words and alliteration. So I'm gonna show you a little thing today that God kind of put on my heart that might give you some help 
if you're thinking about how do I spend my, my money wisely? How do I live a lifestyle that says, Jesus, everything is yours? And um, so one of the things we're gonna have this Wednesday, my friend Phil Patton, he's from Vineyard Northwest, he's gonna come and talk about creating kingdom wealth. It's about us learning how to use our money as God intended it to bless ourselves, to bless our families, next generations, and then also to be a blessing in the kingdom. So wealth, wealth is generally associated with a gift from God. The curse from God is the condition of our hearts. Like I said, the super serum. If you have a humble, generous disposition, more wealth means you're gonna keep giving out more and more. And some of you do that. Some of you have been blessed beyond measure compared to most people, and you're like, but this ain't mine. I'm just a pass-through, and you live that way. But there's some of us, it's like we drop, it's like Scrooge, like the penny, like, like, you know, drop the penny in. But what we wanna talk about today is a strategy for stewardship. It says in Psalm 24, verse one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Can everyone say the word everything? So if everything is his, does that include money? Does it include the time-space continuum? Does that include you and me? So when we say Jesus everything, we are just, just repeating what he said. Because it's always the most humble thing you and I can do to agree with Jesus. You're wondering, how do I be more humble? Just agree with Jesus. If he tells, if you see something in his word and you're not doing it, it is very humble to start doing it. Because what it says is, you're the king, I'm not. You're the giver and the forgiver of my life, of my new life, and what I have is yours. So if you're wondering, how can you grow? And he says that the humble, the meek inherit the earth. That the humble are exalted into the heavenly place. So it's always humble to agree with Jesus, okay? And so um, with that, um, Luke chapter 16 says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. There's a lot of people in the world that would outpace us on how to manage our money, if we're honest. Like, it's not God honoring to have loads of credit card debt. Now, sometimes you can't help it. You've got medical bills or a family member. There's just stuff you can't help. Bills that we can help are um, a more expensive house than we can afford, two brand new nice cars, hashtag vacation, or clothes that are meant for a king, probably not meant for representatives of Jesus. You know, just closets bigger than bedrooms. You know, that's kind of stuff we can help. Sometimes there's debt we can't help. But a lot of people, I would say if we're honest, have debt, not because we have an income problem, but because we have a spending problem. And so, um, there's a guy named Zig Ziglar who says, if, that's a great name. <laughs> Kudos to Zig's parents. <laughs> like, my friend graduated with a guy named John John John. I'm like, I hope it was like at least J-O-N, J-E-A-N, like the French rendering, and then J-O-H-N or something. But like, I just love names. So if you know a funny name, send it to me and I'll laugh. Um, but if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. A lot of us can't even give the way we want because we're too busy keeping up with the Joneses or feeding our desires 
to really, and then when it comes at the end of the day, we're like, gosh, I don't have any savings, and I can't afford to tithe because I have all this debt. Um, I would tell you the first, the first debt that we owe, our first fruits, is always to give to God. If you're wondering what honors God is to give him our first fruits, and he's not asking for 90%, but I'll tell you this, 10%'s a starting point. That's a starting point. And you've heard me say, probably ad nauseum, Jesus can, do you know Jesus can do more with 90% of your money than you can do with 100% or 200%? If you get that raise that doubles your life, do you know Jesus can still do more with the 90% you could live on now than you ever could with 200%, 300%, 5 million percent? Because kingdom economics are, he's the king, and without faith, it's impossible to please him, but he says, watch what I do. Because we're never gonna see some of that, well, what he could do if we never choose to live into that. And so it's very important that we have a, and then there's also a great adage, um, the proper planning, can you bring that up? There's a great quote, says this, proper planning prevents poor performance. If you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. So what's your game plan for money? Because a lot of times, a life oriented towards Jesus is just about a game plan. Like if I want to be healthier, I've gotta choose the shop different, right? Or I've gotta make some time for exercise, or I gotta go to the doctor, or I gotta make sure I pick up my prescription or take my vitamins. It takes a plan to be healthy. It takes a plan to be balanced. Jesus says to be innocent as doves, but as shrewd as serpents. So we wanna be pure, but we also wanna be wise. And anyone who ever got good at anything had a plan to get good at. No one ever fell into greatness, no one. Because even people that fall into impossible odds still have to develop a strategy to stay there, all right? So you have to develop a strategy because if you aim for nothing, you'll hit every time. And so many of us struggle because I said, because our income and our habits are out of balance. So if we make 50,000 and we're spending 60,000, we have one of two issues. We either probably have a spending problem, we need to downsize a house, we need to maybe change the cars, not go out to eat as much, you know? Or else, maybe you're like, I've done everything I can, I haven't gone out to eat since last year. Maybe it's time to find a new job. So it is both, but a lot of times it's like, what's our plan? But if we don't know, a lot of us live above our means, if we're really honest. And so before we think about, oh, if I just had another job, I'd be better off. No, you wouldn't. You just have more, more stuff. You'd have, a, have to rent a bigger garage. But here's the kind of plan, the alliteration that I came up with from a banker's perspective, if we had a triangle, can we put that up there? Is really the way to orient, I think, our lives and our money is save, spend, share. Save. Do you have a plan for savings? But I'll say first, do you have a plan for your spending? Because like I said, many of us can't save or share because our spending's out of control. A good metric of life is don't spend more than 85% of what you make. Don't spend more than 85% of what you make. You might say, who are you? I... I'm a guy that, um, first of all, my family's Jewish, so we're notorious great spenders and cheap. It's why, why do Jewish people have such big noses? Because air's free. That's like one of the jokes. It's like, 
So I come from a long line, a long line of people that are thrifty. I've also got, got a financial services background as a residential commercial real estate, and then, and then I was on, on staff like at a bank uh, and uh, like on the uh, board, of, the officer board as making big credit decisions. So I've got a kind of a matrix that we would look at. So when we were looking at a client, I had a loan, I had a loan I worked for $900 million. $900 million. And what we looked at was kind of like the matrix of we never wanted to see a company spending more than about 80 or 85% of its income. Because we knew, and, and obviously in business, you don't want to necessarily, I mean, you want to see people giving and saving. So like if you saw like a huge company that had no reinvestment like in the community, that wasn't maybe a client you wanted to loan on like in your community. So we want to see people saving and giving, even in a bank, even in the commercial world, we want to see it. So I've got a lot of experience helping people with money, learning about money, knowing about money in the financial service background. I spent um, a good part of 20 years doing some of that. And so the little thing I came up with that I think is save, spend, share. But the, but the linchpin is spend. The linchpin is spend. So what I said is, um, Balance is key, is what we see in that triangle, and just like the up and an out triangle, like passionately worship Jesus, fellowship and fellowship, living on mission with other believers, and then doing the stuff Jesus calls us to. This only works if these are in balance, and I think our money only works if it's in balance, because you can't give away 100%. Some of you are giving way too much money to maybe a lazy kid, or maybe someone who's in need, or maybe you're giving more than you could, and you're like, well, I don't have enough to even live on. Sometimes that can be an issue. Some really good-hearted people just give out more than they can. And it would serve you well to look at some of those people and say, I have to cut you off or I have to cut you down. I can't do it anymore. Long-term, this isn't healthy. You need to get a job. You need to figure this out. You need to get some other people to donate. I can't subsidize everything. Because balance is key. And the key to balance is wisdom. Do you remember we learned last week? Say the word. Um, do you guys uh, remember we talked about balance last week? Remember we talked about wisdom and balance, and we talked about wisdom means order. Wisdom, the word wisdom, uh, like in the Hebrew language, means order. The wisdom God would give us in our lives is to bring proper order. Bring proper order to the paradigms of our lives how we live them, how we orient them, how we worship him, how we do life together, and then how we live on mission. So I have many stories and examples of this in my life. Several years ago, my wife and I were a young married couple. We weren't making a lot of money to the tune of 26,000 bucks, and that was not a lot for a family of four. Um, even in like 1980, that wouldn't have been a lot. But it wasn't a lot, and so, but that's where we were. And so we realized we had $14,000 in debt, and we were just living above our means. Not radically, because we didn't have much, but we realized we didn't just have a debt problem, we also, and an income problem, but we also had a spending problem. And so we just did, is we just sat down. We had a family meeting, I mean, just she and I, because our kids were very small, and we're like, okay, where are we? And we're like, what do we need to get rid of? What do we need to cut? How do we get out of debt? How do we pay this stuff off because we're going nowhere fast? And it was really cool, within, within a year and a half, the next year, I didn't make any more. We were able to pay off $14,000 of debt in a year and a half, 
just by cutting our spending, just by living bare bones. Bare bones. That meant no vacation for a couple years. That meant no new car. That meant we didn't go out to eat because you know what? Paying off debt makes you a slave. Debt makes you a slave. Debt is not a great idea. I would say beyond buying a house, try not to have debt in your life. And even then, get a house you can pay off in a 15 or 20 year mortgage. Right? I mean, that's, that's the move. We don't have, to, just because you make, so the, the equation would say, oh, well, you make $100,000, you should be able to afford a three dollars to $350,000 house. Well, because you can afford it doesn't mean you need it. In a kingdom thing, would say, oh, a, a borrower is slave to the lender. So do I need to spend that much? Because if I'm spending this much, then I can't give that much to you, or I can't save it all. So it's about just because you can doesn't mean you have to. So we, we sold a car. We sold furniture. We just got rid of stuff. And it, it stripped us down, but it also, within a year and a half, it freed up our marriage, it freed, freed up our finances. And then we saw God give us uh, promotions in the kingdom. It's like he, we had very little and we weren't being trustworthy with it. But then we responded by getting rid of debt and we were able to simultaneously keep giving, keep growing, and then God I don't know, gave, gave like promotions in the jobs and the positions we were in. So he's very faithful. What does the Bible say about savings? It says do it. But it also says don't overdo it. Don't overdo it. You don't need to save 90% of your income. I think Dave Ramsey has some great stuff. I think he's a little nuts and fearful at times. I don't know if you need to save that much, but he's right about you need to save. So have a nest egg for the future. Have an emergency fund. Have different funds, that vacation fund, car fund. That's kind of stuff's right. I don't think you have to live in fear and save 80% of your income and 12 years of it unless, you know, if you lose a job for 12 years. I mean, I think to have a good amount saved if you do lose a job, if you do have a rainy day, if you do want well, to say go to, on a nice trip, whatever, have funds for those, but ask what's appropriate. And I generally think for most people, if you're saving about 5%, 5 to 10% of your income, you'll be great. That's way outpaces most people. And that'll get you like a good retirement and that'll have uh, like a good mattress fund also. So save emergencies, occasions, da 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 da. College. Um, and two, I would tell you, it's not your obligation always to pay for your kid's college. I know there's a lot of pressure for that, but um, if you can't do it, you can't do it. But make sure you're teaching your kids not to go into debt, to have good habits as students, and to work hard. Sometimes we can do more for our kids than going into massive debt we can never afford for them to go to an Ivy League school if we just teach them along the way how to be responsible and resourceful. You can teach them like, like I remember I said to my kids years ago, if I was gonna give you $100,000 for getting straight A's between now and when you graduate, would you do it? And they were both like, yes. I'm like, well, I want you to know I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> but I want you to know someone will. Someone will. If you work your butt off, someone will. If, if you work your butt off in your, um, with music or with art, or your grades, or my son with football. Like, you know, people will give you money because you worked hard at something. So you might not be able to pay for your kid's college. If you can, praise God, without riddling yourself with years of debt that you could never pay off. But 
it's not the worst thing either to teach your children and grandchildren to work hard and to be resourceful. Um, Proverbs 6, 8 says, shows us the principle. Go to the ant and to the sluggard. Consider its ways. It has, it has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in the summer and food at harvest. You know, even the ants know to store up for the winter. So we gotta be as innocent as doves, but as shrewd as serpents. At least as shrewd as an ant, right? Um, 1 Corinthians 16, two says, on the first day of the week, each one of you is supposed to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections may be made when I come. Paul's basically saying, you need to make sure that you're paying your bills, saving, and then also be able to, to give because when I come, we're gonna take the money and distribute it to those in need. See, when we see that uh, biblical principle. And I'll tell you this, we have to be able to save, to spend wisely, to save adequately, and share generously. Spending is the linchpin there. If you spend wisely, you can save adequately and give generously. You just can't. Um, and we don't need to, we don't plan ahead to save, if we don't plan ahead to save money, we do plan ahead to go into more debt. Because it's very hard to save when you have loads of debt, isn't it? And we'll talk more about that on Wednesday night. So if you're like wanting to learn more about money and you're like, how do I get a hold of my money? Come, it's a no shame zone. Um, it's just gonna be a great time to learn and ask questions and get strategy to live in the life you're made for. Proverbs 22, 7, like I said, the rich ruler of the poor, the borrower, slave of the lender. Um, and so on spending, spending is good. I don't want people to have a guilt that you can never spend. Because Jesus says, I came so you'd have life and have it abundantly. Have it to the full. Jesus wants us to enjoy. He said, I've withheld no good thing from you. Jesus wants to us. Part of, part of a good strategy is you can enjoy the fruit of your labor. If you're just always paying a, a lender, that's not a lot of enjoyment. And Jesus came so we'd have life and have it abundantly. So it's okay to spend. It's okay to go out to eat. It's okay to buy a skateboard or to have a vehicle. It's okay to, you know, whatever. But it's just like, but we want to have a plan that's within our means that God gave us. You don't have to keep up with anyone besides what the pace Jesus calls you to. What's, what, are you being faithful with what he gave you? He's not gonna ask you what your neighbor has or what the guy in the slums has. He's gonna say, what are you doing with what I give you? That's always gonna be the metric. There's always enough with him, but he also wants us to enjoy our lives. He wants us to like where we live. He wants us to like, um, he wants us to have cars that can get to work. You know, he really does. He cares about that stuff more than us. So I don't want anyone to feel guilt over spending. It's overspending is where you should feel some conviction, where I've felt a lot of conviction in my life. So what are we spending our life on? Are you spending your life just to make more money? That's a pitiful existence. Oh, I'm gonna retire someday and I gotta cash out by the time I'm 55 or 60 or 65 and I'm gonna just go for it. And the kids will understand, I want them to have more than I had. Chances are though, when you get there, I know a lot of people that have died at retirement, literally a week or two. It happens so often that people sprint so hard to that finish line and they think they're just gonna get there and they're just gonna stop and it's gonna be great and it's like, it all just gave out. 
and I can't explain exactly why that is. I've got some theories, but I think um, Jesus wants us to have life along the way too. If you're working, if you're working more than 50 hours a week on average, you're probably gonna head towards burnout. You're probably gonna see health problems. You'll probably have uh, relational strains in your life. If you work much more than that, and I'm not saying there's not some weeks that you work 60. There's, there's times, there's seasons. You're a farmer, you do it in season. But if even when you're not on, you're always on, who can, who can do that forever? So I just wanna encourage you that Jesus wants us to be able to spend what we have, but spend it not just on selfish stuff. Spend by saving. Spend by saving. Count that as how you spend. Count how you give. And then share. Generosity and stewardship are important themes in the Bible. Part of being a good steward is you know God is generous. It says in 1 John, in this world we are like him. So if we serve a generous God who's withheld no good thing from us, not even his son, but we don't give a dime, sorry, your life's not Jesus everything. Just gonna say it. You may think I'm all in. You're not. Because Jesus is where your treasure is, your heart is. So if we don't give, we're not living for him to our fullest capacity. Not saying you're not at all, but he would say that. He would say that. So you can't, you can't define the terms of what Jesus is looking for. You have to go with his definition. And so maybe you're like, okay, I can only give 1% right now. I'm giving 5%. Well, make a plan to honor him with that and live into what he's calling you to. That's fine. Sometimes it's hard to stop cold turkey and just do it. But I said, have a plan. Have a plan over the next six, 12, 18 months where you wanna be, what you wanna pay down to make this possible. If you say, okay, I'm not giving what I can, I got this debt I'm gonna pay off, well, you can still give and pay off debt and watch. There is a kingdom economics. I had a friend who had a car, and it was, he had seven kids, and his car was basically a turd on wheels. And every time, he, he would take it to this guy, and year after year, the guy's like, well, brother, I don't know how your car's doing this, except for I can tell you this. Or he said, let, let me ask you this question. Do you tithe? He's like, yes, I do. He's like, that is the only reason this car works. <laughs> He's like, this is literally a parting the Red Sea thing that this thing drives in here and that your wife and kids are still living. And he said, he said I didn't used to believe, but I started seeing a pattern of Christians who would come in and they were driving these turds on wheels. And then I'd just say, do you tithe? Do you give? And they'd be like, yeah. And their cars lasted longer, worked better than the people that didn't. Seriously. Because do you know that Jesus cares more about your kids getting there and you getting there safely than you do? He cares more about your, your growth, your healing, you doing well than you do. But there's a principle at work, he's never gonna force us. But if we'll say yes to him, there's no limit to what he'll do. Like I said, you can do better with, not, he can do more with 90% than you can do with 100. This is a biblical concept. And tithing's not an Old Testament versus a New Testament thing. We'll talk more about that in a couple weeks, but actually tithing is one of the first things. Sabbath and tithing predate the covenants. They predate them. And so there's something that God's always called the orientation of our heart to, Sabbath says, God, you can do more with six days than I can do with seven. 
Tithing says, you can do more than 90% than I can do with 100%. And we know in Hebrews, then the equal is, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if A plus B equals C, and we know the C, that we have to have faith, A or B, if there's left out, then we can say, oh, my life's not pleasing to God. If I don't live in faith with my schedule, if I don't live in faith with my resources, and then the condition of my heart, mind, and actions. And I love what Proverbs 22.9 says, he who is generous will be blessed. For he who gives some of his food to the poor. And then there's another proverb, I can't uh, think of exactly what it is, but he says, the one who lends to the poor, lends to God. Lends to God. Like our daddy owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And everything's his, but he gives it to us to do what we will with it. But when we, when we give generously to people in need, to our congregation, when we give to, to that sort of stuff, it says we lend to God and God blesses that every time. He blesses that every time. He won't always bless it at that time, but he will always bless over the long run of our lives. You will see his faithfulness when you show him yours. So what's your strategy? I would say save, spend, share equals spill. You wanna see God's blessings spill out on your life, on your family? Trust him with the orientation of your budget. Develop a plan. Spouses, sit down this week. Take an inventory, go through all of your bills, all of your subscriptions, and say, how are we doing? Look under the hood. Look under the hood. And that's a great place to start. Or if you're single, do an inventory this week. Do an inventory. Because do you need to spend 80 bucks this month at Starbucks? I don't know. I mean, if you can, great. But like, but if you're spending that there and you're not saving a dime for the future or for a rainy day, maybe you could spend like, save like 50 bucks. Or I'm not giving a penny, but I'm gonna spend a thousand bucks this month on a car payment. It's probably time to sell your car. They'll give you more money than you probably bought it for right now. Seriously. If you cannot give and you have exorbitant bills, go get rid of your stuff. Go get rid of your stuff and ask Jesus what's his plan. So we're gonna pray. If you're getting baptized, go get ready. If you didn't sign up and you wanna get baptized, just come as you are. Or if you brought a change of clothes, let us know. And we're gonna do a potluck after this. And so I'm gonna pray. So Jesus, would you um, come? Would you meet us? Would you help us just to live differently? Would you help us to give money, to live money, and to um, receive what you have with faithful and earnest hearts? Would you help us to trust you, Lord? Maybe this message has ticked you off. Lord, would you let us look at your word and see the wisdom and the balance? He wants to have life. He wants to enjoy this life, not just save for the future, but he also wants to save for the future. And you also want us to care not just about ourselves, but about those in need and the things you're calling us to. So help us to live in such a way that says you came and that we trust you. In your mighty and powerful name we pray, amen.